My chat with today's guest led me to do something pretty crazy at the end of last year, and that was to have a really awkward and honest conversation with my workplace, to let them know that I didn't feel as though the role I was in was best for myself or for the business. I felt the skills that I had weren't the skills that that workplace needed for the specific role I was in. And I expected that conversation to lead me in a direction that would have me exiting that place of work. When what it actually did was open up a whole new conversation on what they could do to keep me and if we could find a happy medium between both of us to see how we could utilize my skills in a new way. And it's essentially what today's guest said would happen. Although her advice wasn't aimed at myself in our conversation, when I listened back as I was editing it, it made me realize that I was feeling trapped in the workplace I was and Nobody knew that there except me. And it was time for me to do something a bit tricky for the good of myself and also for the good of the workplace. After that conversation, it led me to some huge opportunities at my place of work. And I'm so grateful not only to them for being open and understanding where I was coming from, but also to Steph, who is today's guest, for giving me some advice that I didn't even realise I needed. The Millennial, the Millennial Me. This is The Millennial Crisis by Demi Kotsouris, Wi-Fi not included. Me and Stephanie Elal met in a very 21st century way. Last episode was all about networking and essentially me and Steph met because I sent her a random message on LinkedIn to say, hey, your job title sounds interesting. I'd love to get you on my podcast if you're keen. It turned out Steph had been following my work for a while and was eventually planning on doing the same thing and reaching out to me to get my help in a certain area. So we caught up for coffee and I heard about her story on how she found a job that she loves, a job that she can wake up every Monday morning and not dread going to. She's a careers coach and outcomes producer at General Assembly Melbourne, and she is a career guru. This girl has the best information on what employers want and what we should do as candidates when we're looking for jobs in the workplace. If there's any episode you listen to on how to find a job you love, this is it. Steph talks about how finding a job you love isn't as straightforward as we think it is and that finding out what you don't like is just as important as finding out what you do and I couldn't agree more. So welcome to episode four of The Millennial Crisis, my conversation with Stephanie Elal on finding a job you love. 
So I chose to go to uni because you get to year 12 and you know you have to do something after school. I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do, but I really actually wanted to work in something a little bit creative and potentially do interior decorating. But my mum didn't want me to go to TAFE and that was the only option for interior decorating that I could find was going to TAFE. So in the end, I ended up going with what my career counsellor told me I should do, which was human resources, go study commerce, go to university. And I chose to go to Deakin because a few of my friends were going there and I had a boyfriend there at the time. So it just seemed like the fun party uni that everyone was going to. I wasn't really taking it too seriously. And because commerce is obviously a really broad degree, I knew that I didn't have to decide then and there exactly what my path would be. It's so funny that parents can look so down on TAFE. I know. I think now it's probably coming up a little bit more, but I I know, especially when I graduated uni, it was like, "Mm, TAFE, no, like, I'm not going to TAFE, like, what's that? Yeah, and I don't know why my mum was so against it, because she didn't even finish high school, so I was like, you should be happy that I actually want to do something. I'm sure if I really, really pushed it, she would have been fine with it, but yeah, my sister went to uni and she was adamant that, you know, I was smart enough to go to uni and I didn't have to do something like vocational. So then when you left uni, did you stick with the HR side of things? How did you find that initial, I guess, career advice? Yep. So there wasn't a whole lot of career advice and it's probably my own fault for not seeking it out. But, you know, when you're that young, you sort of need things put in front of you to to chase a goal. So I didn't really know what to expect when I finished university. I remember sitting on the grass outside my last exam, just sort of thinking, wow, what do I do now? Like I have nothing to study for. Do I just start applying for jobs? What, like, what is my life? So I started, yeah, applying for HR manager jobs straight after uni. Love that. Straight to the manager, like skipping anything. I'm so for that. that I was qualified. I'm like, oh yeah, HR manager. I've never been a manager of anything in my life. Worked in retail forever. So yeah, after a little while I realised actually maybe I'm not HR manager material quite yet. I've never worked properly before. So I got a job in a call centre pretty much just to save money so I could go travelling. And then when I got back from traveling, I sort of let my managers know that I was interested in moving more into the HR space. And they threw me a bone and said, hey, why don't you work in our recruitment department? So that was my first sort of step into the HR space, which was really lucky, I think, because a lot of people don't get those kinds of opportunities from their sort of part-time casual jobs. Yeah, very lucky that I sort of got that opportunity. But obviously it was through proving to them that I was a good employee in general and just being vocal and and talking to people about what I wanted. Because obviously if I never said anything, they would never know and would have never offered me that opportunity. Yeah, exactly. I find a lot of people just sit there and complain to their friends or talk to other people like, why aren't they moving me here it's like have you told them that you've even when you start somewhere is that a discussion you have with people to say look I'm I love the company I want to stay here but I would like to move from finance to marketing or marketing to HR or wherever that is so I think yeah like you said if you never said anything you wouldn't have even gotten the opportunity even if they said no at least you tried exactly yeah and I think some people are scared to tell their bosses that they're interested in doing something else but 
chances are they'll be you know happy and provide you opportunities to develop and mm. you know give you a, give you a chance to try different things out because they don't want you to leave they don't want you to go stale so yeah. it's good just to yeah be vocal about what you want yeah. I was very whingy <laughs> so I'm lucky that my my manager was really lovely and he liked me as a person in general so don't be whingy <laughs> if you want something but yeah it's good to let people know what you're looking for. Love that. <laughs> Let's move into, I remember when we spoke, you kind of had a big break and it was this amazing role with an amazing company. Tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah. So I'd had a couple of recruitment jobs and I'd sort of decided, you know, I wanted to move on and started looking around. Essentially, I was looking for like more responsibility, more money, obviously, that always helps. And a recruitment job at Maya head office came up, which was really exciting because I'd worked in Maya all through my university days. And it was a company that, you know, I really resonated with and retail. I love fashion and yeah. shopping and everything. So it just seemed seemed like the perfect opportunity. So I applied for that and I got it. I don't know how I got it, but I how did. How old were you there? I think I was about 24, so 23 or 24. Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty big role. But yeah, when I got in there, it wasn't quite what I had expected. Just in terms of the actual tasks that I was doing were pretty repetitive. It wasn't very strategic. It was, you know, basically screening resumes and inviting people into group interviews. And I wasn't conducting the group interviews. I was literally just inviting people to interviews. So it was very administrative. And I felt like I wasn't really being that challenged because it's obviously such a large company. A lot of the, the tasks there are very segmented. Mm. And I just sort of felt like a bit of a cog in a big machine. So what I thought was this amazing opportunity with this amazing company that a lot of people I'm sure would aspire to work for, for me personally, just yeah, didn't didn't work out the way that I had planned. And yeah, lasted, I think, seven months there. So it was great experience. And it's good to find out what you don't like as much as it is to figure out what you do like, because it's easy to narrow down what you want to do that way. It's funny how sometimes, depending on the type of person you are, the company you get, the more role specific they are. If you're anything like me, it just gets boring. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I did get bored. And, you know, as I said, I need to be challenged. And for me, it's, you know, I figured out that I'm better working in smaller teams Mm -hmm. where I do have more autonomy and a bit more, I don't know, the ability to be able to change things in an instant if I need to. If I see that something's not working, I can just quickly change it and make it better by myself. So, yeah. I'm lucky that I'm in a role now where I can do that. I'm in a team of one, which is great. (laughs) I don't have to really, you know, obviously got managers that I answer to and we're a global company. So, you know, there's lots of support there, but day to day, I sort of just do my own thing. And as long as the work gets done, everyone's happy. Love that. So let's talk about your current role. So you work for General Assembly. Did you want to tell us a little bit about GA and then we'll get into your role specifically? Yeah, cool. So General Assembly is a tech ed company. So we are a global organization started in New York. We've got campuses all over the world, all over the US, also in London, 
Singapore and Australia, in Sydney and in Melbourne. And we conduct courses that are aimed at career changes. So there's full-time immersive courses that are aimed at career changes in the fields of web development, data science, user experience design, and digital marketing. And then we also do lots of part-time courses, which are aimed at people who just sort of want to upskill in their current role. A lot of the time, it's their employers that are putting them through those courses because obviously the you know ever-changing needs in technology, it's just really important to you know stay on the pulse in terms of what's relevant and what's current. So there's a lot of people that yeah get put through our training as part of their employment. But yeah, my role there is to help all the students who finish our full-time courses through their job search. So working with them on their resumes, helping them with interview skills, making recommendations, a lot of business development, letting organisations know that the candidates exist and basically any assistance that they need during that process. Yeah, awesome. When we first kind of spoke, I'd never heard of General Assembly before and then I saw you guys and I was like, oh my God, this is unreal. Like this is, it's such a great option for people to have, especially because in comparison to university, the courses are really affordable and you get up-to-date skills. Just as an example, digital marketing for us we're currently running our first full-time course and it's purely just because we've seen such a high demand for it Mm. in the market and it just shows that, you know, a company like General Assembly, we can really respond to market demand and just say, yep, we want to do this course because we can see that there are jobs in this area, there's a shortage of of skills, so why don't we just marry the two and, and... create a course for it so we're doing the same with coding languages like python react making courses specifically around those particular technologies because there's a need for them in the market and people just don't have those skills yet because universities are a little bit behind when it comes to the coding side of things because new technologies are emerging every day so who would you say something like general assembly is good for usually people who have been working for a couple of years And who are really passionate. I think that's the main thing that comes through when employers are looking at our candidates. Even if they haven't had commercial experience in the field that they've just upskilled in, if you can demonstrate that you're really enthusiastic, that you're really passionate and that you genuinely want it, usually they can see something in you that, you know, they can help further develop your skills to the point where they need them or they can, you know, put you in a role where you've got a mentor and that kind of thing. So it's it's more about just yeah, g- a genuine interest and passion in the topic that you're studying, not just, oh, I want to change my career. I'm just going to pick one of these courses because mm. it seems like the easy thing to do because it's definitely not easy. But yeah, it's it's people who are yeah, genuinely interested in wanting to change their careers and it's at any stage of life. So we, as I said, we've got people that come to us you know, quite young, 18, 19, 20. It's not as common that they're that young coming to us. Our average age, I'd say, would probably be about 25 to 35. But then there's people who come at much later stages in their life too, where they've worked their whole life and, you know, they can see all the cool things happening with technology and they just want to be a part of that. So Which is so awesome. It's really cool. I think it's one of the really cool things that kind of came out of our generation that we gave the generations above this kind of idea that it's not too late and you can go back to school. We've got so many more kind of mature age students even at university now and and because there's all these different options for them, it's cool that they feel inspired to be able to at 40 or 50 give up their, you know, office job and be like, I'm going to be an interior designer and I'm going to go to university and learn about that. Yeah, it's awesome to see that, yeah, people can sort of do whatever they want now, especially people who maybe have 
a lot of financial commitments, they've got families and definitely couldn't give up three years of their life going to study at university, that there's different options that they can, yeah, take three months Mm. and then essentially be qualified to change careers and it's less of an impact on them and their family and their bank accounts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's really cool. How did your life change when you got into this role? Yeah, I mean, now I go to work. I don't dread going to work, which I think is the first sign of knowing that you're doing what you should be doing when you don't get that like gross Sunday feeling of like, oh, tomorrow's Monday. I just don't want to get out of bed. Obviously, sometimes you do have those days because you're tired and it's life. But Generally, I don't get that feeling. As I said, I really like working autonomously. In my last job, I was working in a team of about eight people, which is great. And I know, you know, on everyone's resume, we always say we're great at working in teams and I can work in a team. I just prefer not to. I don't like waiting for other people to ha- like to get things done so I can move forward in what I need to do. I just like getting my own shit done, really. I do definitely feel like I've got more of a sense of purpose because I'm actually helping people get what they want. Mm. Um, Sometimes, you know, you work with people who don't necessarily appreciate it or they're going through a tough time and it can be really challenging. But I think the challenges make the, you know, the rewarding parts more rewarding because it's just, you know, you take the, the highs with the lows, you know, whereas before when I was working in recruitment, it was, as I said, quite administrative and it's very sort of just task oriented whereas now I'm like dealing with individuals on a personal level figuring out what they really want um, and helping them actually get there so it's really cool I think looking back on my role in my where I was using a really like advanced recruitment system it graded the applicants from like red yellow green so it basically was doing my job for me anyway and I was just looking at the green candidates and then picking the best out of that bunch yeah so it's it was essentially exactly what you said there was a machine doing my job and I was just like filtering it a little bit more yeah so it's yeah some people would enjoy that kind of work though it just depends on what you want I guess but for me I need I need a bit more of a challenge and yeah to feel like I'm actually making an impact yeah did you ever get when you were in that role did you ever get like a almost like a guilty feeling of how are they paying me to do kind of nothing what why like I'm really confused because you'd hear other people that are like teaching or you know paramedics that are getting paid piss all Mm. do these amazing jobs and sitting there at this desk you know yeah sometimes you do get that feeling and I always tell my students now like you can't chase the dollars because if you're just wanting to get paid you can go and stand on the street and change the stop slow sign because those people get paid like $80 an hour (laughs) so if I just wanted to earn money and not be challenged day to day I would go do that or work in a factory and you know earn heaps of money like my boyfriend's an engineer and he says the people that stand on site and open and close the gate they're on like six figures a year it's crazy so but day to day your brain is not really working yeah and I need that (laughs) yeah I love that you use them as references I think it's until you kind of make money doing nothing and then you realize like oh it's actually not all about this do need more and now I do get why people leave these high paying jo- I had a teacher in high school that like left being a barrister after all that time and like became a legal studies teacher and I was like 
why? <laughs> I don't get it because my parents always kind of drilled into me like, you got to make money, you got to make money, you got to make money. I was like, why would this idiot do that? And now, like, it's come kind of full circle. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you've uh, got to love what you do. Otherwise, there's no point. Because otherwise, you've got all this money, but then you're unhappy. So, what's yeah. the point in having the money? Because, yeah, I've been unhappy in jobs. And when you're unhappy at work, you don't really want to do anything on the weekend because it sort of just brings you down in general. And then, yeah, you're not spending your money on anything because you're just sad. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. It's I, You see it with people all the time, how it, even if it's a friend or something, you see it really affect their mood so much and they'll get out of there and they're just a new person. It's like, you know, a rainy day versus a sunny day. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, finally, let's get into the employer. So what are some tips that you have for people who are looking for work, may have a university degree, may have high grades, but are applying, applying, applying and can't get any work. What is the extra mile that people need to kind of put in to make sure that they do get a job? Yeah. Well, I think we were chatting when we spoke a couple of weeks ago about just having work experience in general, whether it's at Coles, at McDonald's, at the local swimming pool as a lifeguard, whatever job, because some people spend all of their time studying and getting these really great marks, but then they're missing out on the other skills, the interaction, just having the responsibility of, of a job, um, being able to turn up on time, having someone to vouch for you that you can do all of those things is so important. Um, so being able just to have something on your resume where you can show those transferable skills. And I know you hear the term transferable skills all the time in the terms of applying for jobs, but it's actually so important to be able to show people that you've got something else other than the hard technical skills. Um, another thing, like this is a piece of advice I give to all of my students is just be someone that people want to work with um, because you have to sit with your colleagues. You spend more time with your colleagues than you spend with your family. You're there five days a week, eight hours a day at a minimum. It's, you know, eight and a half, nine hours a day, 10 hours a day, whatever. You have to get along with people and they're not going to hire the smartest, most technically talented person if they can't hold a conversation. So even if you're shy, even if you're, you know, you feel a bit socially awkward, we all do at times, that's when you have to really just start practicing, going to meetups, um, you know, getting out into different social scenarios where you might not be so comfortable to put yourself out there and practice interacting with other people because it comes naturally to some, it doesn't come naturally to other people. It's very, very important that you sort of do try if it's not something that, that comes naturally to you. And I think the other thing that is very frustrating for a lot of recruiters when they receive cookie cutter applications and it's so easy just to hit the apply now button and the quick apply button on LinkedIn and seek and just submit the same application over and over again. But recruiters can sniff out a cover letter template or a regurgitated cover letter from a mile away, they need to be very specific. You need to be calling out what they're looking for and then taking the next step of following up and trying to get in front of someone who works at that organisation. Don't be shy to ring the company, to reach out to someone on LinkedIn, just to talk to as many people as possible because if people know you, then they can get to like you and then they want to recommend you and hire you. Mm. Yeah, great, great tips. I mean... 
even from my just like my experience myself I did the whole like cookie cutter thing and I was like I've got experience outside of uni I'm already cut above the rest like obviously they're gonna want me above like anyone else (laughs) like what an idiot and and I got nowhere yeah there's always a better candidate but if you can yeah as you said put yourself above the rest in other ways apart from just being the best digital marketer or the best coder or the best waitress or whatever it might be you've got to yeah stand out in other ways yeah no I think that's great advice what do you say to your um students when you're helping them find a role to make sure that it's the right role for them so that they don't end up in a in a role that you know you get in there and it seems like the dream role to them but they get in the company and they're like actually this working style's not for me what questions do you get them to ask or how do you get them to filter through applications yep so it's really difficult to tell just from reading a job ad so I basically tell people like don't rule anything out just from reading the job ad always give it a go go to an interview at the very very least because there was a job that I ended up working in for like two and a half years where based off the job ad itself and the interview I went to the interview just because I wanted to get out of where I was Mm. I was not too impressed with the organization and you know the offices were really old and dingy and I was like what is this place what is this job I don't even know and I ended up loving the job like I was there it's probably the like the longest job that I've ever held because I ended up really loving it so the the best thing to do is definitely go to the interview give yourself a chance to ask questions questions like you know what's a day in the life of what does that look like because it's one thing for them to be like you know these will be your tasks and duties overall this is what we're aiming for but if you don't know what the actual day-to-day looks like because you might be stuck in meetings all day every day and that might be really boring for you or you might be required to go off site and you know go and network and do all those kinds of things so it's really important to figure out actually when I get into work every day what does my calendar look like? Also talking to the hire or the recruiter about KPIs. What does success look like? What am I going to be measured against? Because if they're just going to throw you straight in the deep end and go, you need to hit this sales target month one, and it seems pretty high and pretty scary, you need to sort of talk with them about what are the repercussions if I don't hit that and, you know, ask them about management styles. If you don't like being micromanaged, then, you know, you need to sort of talk about that and be brutally brutally honest about what you like and what you don't like because at the end of the day, you're going to have to work there. Mm. So it's good to get an understanding of what, what they actually do. And then I think another thing to keep in mind is if it's your first job in a new field, Give it a go because the experience is so valuable and you're not stuck anywhere. Even if you sign a one-year contract, that contract is not for you to stay there for one year. It's so that they are employing you for one year. So you can leave. Like everyone's always so scared of leaving a job. I don't want to leave straight away. If you don't like it, it's not prison. Mm. Just get out. So I think give everything a go and you can, yeah, figure out what you like and what you don't like. Yeah. I think that um, a lot of us, because we finish uni and on average, it takes four months for someone to get a a secure a full-time job for an undergraduate. I think it's like 72% of undergraduates get a job within the first 
it takes four months on average, which mm. is quite high, I think, in statistic-wise. Does it mean that it's because of their degree? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, or is it in the field of their degree? I'm not sure. But because we know that it's so hard to get a job because we do these cookie-cutter applications and you hear of everyone being like, I can't get a job, I can't get a job. When we do get to that interview point, you're so concerned in getting the job and securing the role that you forget to ask what your own questions of what you expect and what you want because you're like oh I shouldn't expect anything I've always had people tell me what to do so that's how I need to go about things but like you said when you get there you need to know is it going to be the right fit for you although you you can give it a go and I definitely think people need to try things out for sure because it's just as much about process of elimination as it is about finding the thing that you want Um, it's important for you to not be afraid to ask what you expect of a place, not necessarily what you expect of a place, but what they expect of you and and how your day-to-day would be. And also I think employers really like that when you ask them questions about where the company is going and all that stuff because it shows that you're interested too. Definitely. And I think as well um, it's easy to to take pieces of information. For example, a lot of my students will go onto websites like Glassdoor where people can review where they've worked and they're like, Steph, you know, this person said this about this company and I don't want to go to the interview there because it sounds really horrible. And I'm like, you just have to take all of that advice with a grain of salt because what one person really likes in a workplace is different to what maybe you like. And also things can change at any time. So the way they worked might have been the way they always do things. But if you come in and say, I actually don't really like working that way, do you mind if we, you know, switch it up a bit? I'm sure most managers will be more than happy to to try out new things and give it a go because they want their employees to be happy. And if they've found a good employee, they want to hold on to them and make sure that their life's as easy as possible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it's like if you're looking on Airbnb, there's always one person that like leaves a crappy review. The sheets on the bed weren't ironed properly. And you're yeah. like, well, no, that's it. One star there. I'm out. <laughs> like if you don't do it for that, then yeah, exactly. You shouldn't do it. I think we either feel you kind of go either way. You either feel entitled to be in this like amazing role. I've definitely been through that. And I know you said you wanted a manager role straight away. And I thought, you know, cause I've got experience outside of uni, of course I'm entitled to have a, to have a job and we get to that point and then we realize crap life's not so rosy and it's not that easy to get something and then you get desperate and that's when you need to be a happy medium between the two of giving things a go but also asking the right questions to know that that you know that gut feeling you have might have some merit in specific in specific um situations yeah is there anything else that you wish you kind of knew before you got into the workforce that would be good for people who might be struggling? Yep. I think the best advice that I have and something that I wish I had done but didn't do, and now I tell everyone to do this and I've actually never done it myself to be honest, but it it really helps the people that I work with, is just asking questions, asking for favors, asking for advice. So, you know, if you're at university and you're not sure how to get into the job that you want or the field that you want, go on LinkedIn and find someone who does the job that you want and message them and say, Hey, I'm, you know, about to finish my studies. I'm not sure 
what on earth I meant to do once I put my pen down at that last exam. Do you mind if we catch up for a chat and I can pick your brain about how you got to where you are? Or message the you know managing director of a company that you'd really like to work for. Chances are they won't have time, yeah. but why not just message them on LinkedIn and say, I would love to work for your company one day and I just want to you know get to understand what you look for in your employees and what I might need to do over the next five years to build up that kind of experience to eventually be one of your employees. And then for people who are thinking about changing their career, I think it's the same. Just ask someone who's done it. Like if you think maybe you want to change your career and take a general assembly course, look up general assembly alumni on LinkedIn and message them and see, you know, what their experience was like and how they found getting a job after the course and all those kinds of things. So I think just drawing off people's experience is always so helpful and people are so willing to help. Like I ask for favours all the time in my job with, you know, can you help me with mock interviews for this class? They need extra help with interview skills or, or can we bring a class into your office to take them on a site visit or can you come and, you know, do a guest talk to our classes? And people are always more than willing to help and, you know, we don't pay them anything and mm. it's not favour for a favour. It's literally just the community helping each other out. And I think that's really nice and something that we should all be sort of tapping into that resource and not be scared or shy or worried that they're going to say no because they might say no, but at the end of the day, who cares? Yeah, You just move on to the next person. Yeah, that's awesome advice. I think that's really great. And um, yeah, I've always found in my experience that people are so willing because everyone's been there, whether it's for a day or whether it's for three years of you in that point of, I'm not sure I'm where I'm supposed to be, or I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Everyone's had a feeling at some point like that. So it's really easy for people to relate. I think there's lots of questions we wish we had the answers to, especially in the job search. And I think that there's just one thing that, you know, people tend to forget is you can write the most perfect application. You can be the perfect candidate for the job but still not get selected. And the main thing is just not to take it personally. Sometimes, you know, the company's looking for something very specific or they had a candidate in mind already or, you know, there's so many different outside factors and, you know, one rejection, 10 rejections, 50 rejections doesn't mean that you're not worthy or you're not qualified or, you know, that you're never going to get a job. It's just that those jobs weren't right for you right now. Um, Because, like, yeah, I get a lot of students that are like, I should have got the job based on this application. You said it was perfect. And like, it was perfect to me, but I'm not hiring for the role. So I don't know what they're actually looking for. So there's really no way of knowing. And you just have to try your best, throw your hat in the ring and yeah, don't disqualify yourself from anything. Just give everything a go. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was really great. And some really good insight into the world of jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much, Steph. (laughs) Another special thanks to Steph for sharing all of her insight into the workforce and not only what we should look for, but also what employers look for. I think a lot of the advice she gives is something that we can all take on no matter what stage of our careers we're at. And listening to myself in that conversation, I was probably at a point in my life where I thought I knew a lot and I was a bit cocky when it came to work things because I thought I had experienced quite a bit. And so when I was 
asking Steph questions and when I was taking on her advice, I was taking it from the perspective of the audience that was going to listen. Whereas in the process of editing the audio, I was like, holy shit, I'm a massive hypocrite and this is advice that I really needed to hear. Steph's story about being open with her workplace and asking to move into a different area that she was interested in was something that really kind of hit me hard. And at the time I was going through uh, a, a pretty rough period in my workplace, not because of the workplace, because the the workplace was great. There was nothing that they were doing wrong, but it was myself. And I felt like I wasn't being pushed to my boundaries and I wasn't growing anymore. And I was also questioning my role and whether marketing was actually something that I should be in or were skills that I actually possessed. And because of that, and because of the needs that I could see the role that I had needed that weren't my strong suit, I was really getting down on myself and becoming not a great person to work with, if I'm honest. And so at the end of last year, upon sending Steph a thank you email for for giving her advice in the podcast, I also had a really difficult conversation with my workplace and that conversation was really awkward and I was an absolute mess going into it, but it was something that was really needed. And it was essentially me saying that I didn't think that I was the right person for my role. And it was not only a disservice to myself, but it was a disservice to the company. And I was really honest with my manager about that. And mind you, I had no backup plan. I didn't have a job I could go to from there. I didn't have another job lined up. I didn't even know what I wanted to do instead. And I'm so grateful to my to my manager at the time for doing this. He pretty much said to me, I think you're great value for the business and I don't want to see you go. Can you please write me a list of the things that you like about your role and the things that you dislike about your role. And let's work on something together to see if we can keep you here so that it's good for us and it's good for you as well. And I was just stunned at what that conversation did and the outcome of it. And I, I'm not sure if if my manager even realizes the impact that he had on me or the real confidence he gave me that I was kind of doing something right because some of the work that I was doing, I felt like someone else could have done it a lot better. And he said he saw certain strengths in me that, you know, we could use in different areas. And maybe that meant that my role would evolve into something else. But he really wanted to make sure that I was happy and I was in the right place, but also that I was adding value to the company as well. Because at the end of the day, it's not just about me, it's about the business as well. And we can't be selfish and stupid to think that it's all about us because it's not, it's about the bigger picture. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share that full story in bonus episode four. So if you want to hear more about that, uh, please next Monday have a listen because there is a lot 
to that story and it led me to do some incredible things and have some unreal opportunities. And I just think it's so worth having a listen that what Steph was saying is actually true and real, even if it does sound like that could never work for me because I did it. And it, it does ring true. You forget that everyone's a real person and they've probably felt the same thing that you have felt at some stage of their career. And being open and honest and asking certain questions, people will receive it a lot better than what you think. And if they don't, that's even better because it means that that's not the right environment for you. They're not the right people for you. But for us not to up and quit or up and leave something because we're battling something internally and we never express that externally, uh, especially in a professional environment. Uh, We feel as though we need to be a certain type of person when it comes to being a professional, uh, whatever that means. But I think honesty and, you know, being yourself and open and transparent is something that is highly, highly valued in the workplace. Um, but yeah, if you want to hear more about that, wait till next week. Um, I'm going to share the full story there. As for this week's challenge, it is all about what I'm going to discuss next week. And it's about identifying one area in your life where you're not happy in and that there is a there is something you've been holding in that you probably need to say, whether it's like me and it's the workplace and you feel as though you deserve more money. You feel as though people aren't valuing your time. You feel as though your manager doesn't understand the work you do or that someone else is taking credit for something or it's in your personal life and it's your mum's pissing you off every time she you know, asks you a certain thing or your romantic relationship where you feel your partner isn't hearing you about something. I want you to identify one thing. I know you've probably got a million thoughts racing through your head, but the first one that comes to you and probably the one that scares you the most or the one that you flick straight past because you're like, no, 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 I don't actually want to do that. That's the one that you really need to hone in on. So think of that one thing And start thinking about what annoys you about that situation, how it makes you feel, how it's affecting other aspects of your life. So for me, with this conversation I had with my boss, it was not only did I feel like I was losing confidence in my work, I was also becoming less productive. I was becoming less motivated and less energized. So when I came home from work, I was also in a bit of a rut. I would just go home and watch movies. I wouldn't be productive like I used to be. It was affecting a lot. I was probably more fidgety with my friends and family and agitated and getting angry a lot quicker. And that was all because of this kind of built up emotion I had in the workplace. And I think that can happen in lots of aspects of our lives. So pick one, have a think about it this week. And then next week, we'll talk about the steps we can take to have that difficult conversation. But yeah, all this week is about is identifying one of those things and really diving deep into what the issue is from our perspective. And then considering the other people involved and 
how they might not even know that you're feeling this way and that we can't expect everyone to read our minds because no one's a mind reader at the end of the day and you do really need to spell things out for people and I can't stress enough how important that is but uh, yeah we will get into that more next week so this week just identify one thing in your life that is really pissing you off that you find is affecting a lot of aspects of your life and that can be solved by a conversation or you can share those feelings with someone. I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, um, send me a message. I know sometimes I can ramble a little bit. So if something is unclear, please let me know um, so I can make it more clear next time or I can be a little bit more elegant in the way I speak. It's something I'm working on. And although I am comfortable with the way I do speak, I know that there is progression to be made there and I'm excited for every episode to get better and better, especially with the challenge setting side of things. Also, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who has been participating in the challenges. It's really exciting for me and I love what you guys are doing and for sharing your experiences with me as well. I'm so grateful for them. Yeah, but that's the end of this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you so much. If you want to chat with me, best place to do that is on Instagram at Demi Kotsouris or send me a message via my website, The Millennial Crisis. All of those links are always in the description. If you want to check out Steph and what she's up to, all of her information will be in the podcast notes. So please check out what she's doing. And if you want any advice, go listen to her speak or just follow her on socials. She always puts out a lot of great advice. Also info about General Assembly will be in the show notes as well. And I think I'll probably put together a bit of a blog post on that and then different resources that Steph spoke about. So that will be great to check out too. I will see you guys next week where I'll share my story on how Steph's advice impacted my life and some of the awesome opportunities I got out of it. So yeah, that's it. Stay awesome. I don't know what that was. Bye.